from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Hi, podcast listeners. If this recording sounds a little different, we have an explanation. Yes. We are recording this on my iPhone in our little cabin on, what's the name of this boat? The M.S. Renoir. The M.S. Renoir. Yes. <laughs> and Wendy and I are looking out our window from this cabin on our boat at the Seine River, and we're overlooking Paris, and we were in need of recording a podcast for this coming Monday, and here we are. So we apologize in advance if this is not up to snuff with the sound quality on a typical podcast, but we imagined everybody would bear with us with a iPhone recording rather than skipping an episode. So yeah. here we are. We're recording this on the Feast of All Souls Day That's right. 2023 from Paris on the iPhone. And I thought, Wendy, it would be a good idea for us to share a little bit about what we've been experiencing here in France. And gosh, we could do a whole episode just on that. So maybe as part of our banter over the next few episodes, we could just share some highlights. Oh, from, sure. That's from a good our, idea. From our pilgrimage, because we've been talking to all of you all around the world on our podcast for a long time about this pilgrimage. Lots of people are here who are heard about this chance to come to France through the podcast. It's been really fun to meet some podcast listeners. Oh, yeah. And I know you always appreciate that, Wendy. I sure do. So what's been, what's been a highlight for you, Wendy, on our trip? So many. And, of course, the, the fellow pilgrims and that group are just traveling together is is a huge, amazing blessing how we have come from so many different places to be together and that yeah. certain there's a certain unity of purpose because we're going to the same places and yet when we talk with one another, we see the Lord has a more particular purpose in our own lives in this each of our individual journeys yeah. uh, that he's bringing about through being pilgrims. So it, that's been very exciting. How about you? I would have to say uh, that staying up late the other night and talking with you, working through some of our sufferings in our marriage and just opening them up in a new way to God's mercy and to each other's mercy, mm. that that seemed to me to be a tr one of the great graces of that this was, pilgrimage, yeah. doing this pilgrimage as a married couple. Yeah. And this is the first time you've ever been on a pilgrimage with me. I've done several, led several. And having you with me, and I could put it this way, Wendy. You may have heard me say this to one or two people. I don't know if you were at the table the other day when I shared with this. Oh, you, yeah, you were. When I said, I, I've gotten to know you in new ways apart from your domestic responsibilities. <laughs> In a way that I've never, I've seen things about your personality. I have never had the opportunity mm. to see in 28 years of being your husband. Mm -hmm. Because I've never been to Europe with you. I, I don't know what things you want to take a picture of or. Yeah. And, and seeing you like, oh, I want to get a picture of that. Or, oh, I want to go over here. I want to make sure we do this. Or mm -hmm. that has been just seeing new aspects of your personality coming out, traveling with you to a foreign place has been a, a real blessing to my heart. Yeah, me too. And I think it, you know, definitely it's been a personal pilgrimage for me at the same time that it's a pilgrimage for us as a couple. So yeah. I, I think some of that, both my, you know, my own journey and our together journey was coming up in what you first shared about that, that grace of a particular time of, of praying together and and was working on our own story. Yeah, the real pilgrimage, as I say to all the pilgrims, is not going to Lisieux or going to all the many other places we've been, Lourdes and other places. That's kind of the external sacrament, if you will, the outer sign of an inner journey. Yeah. And, and I encouraged everybody to, to take that inner journey seriously right at the start and and you and I have experienced some real beautiful fruits from that. Mm -hmm. So thank you, God. We'll have plenty of opportunity on future episodes to share 
about some of the places we've been yeah. and, and the graces from those places. Uh, I can't wait to talk about Joan of Arc and all that we've yeah. learned about Joan of Arc, but we'll save that for a future episode. Yeah. Thank you, my love. Thank you, my love, for coming with me. Uh, it's been such a joy. <laughs> and so and guess what? We're still here. <laughs> That's We're right. looking out at the Seine River over <laughs> Paris right now. And it's kind of fun to, to think, you know, in this way that we do this podcast, that all our listeners around the world, whether you know it or not, you're kind of sharing in this with us as we <laughs> sit here in Paris. And I just heard one of those European <laughs> sirens. Yeah. Maybe that's even bleeding into the iPhone here. So yeah. get a little taste of Paris. <laughs> do you have any updates for us on the TOV Institute? I do. Two things I want to share. One is, uh, I can't remember if I mentioned this, you can tell me, Wendy, already on a previous podcast, but we have, as part of our patron community, we've just released a new program, which is Presenting Theology of the Body for Middle Schoolers. Right. Did I already talk about that on a... You did, and it's okay to keep bringing it up, because actually it wasn't released like, like... fully complete. The different episodes have been being added to it. Oh, so, is that how it works? Yeah. Uh, there's so much going on at the Institute, I don't even always know what, <laughs> how it all works. But uh, yes, so please, if you are a patron and you have young people, middle school age people in your life, please take advantage of that new resource. Or if you know some middle school peepers, peep, peepers. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about tree frogs, peepers. Tree frogs? Aren't tree frogs called peepers? Uh, there's some kind of frog, but I don't know if it's tree, tree frog. Fro- anyway, if you know tree frogs who need to know about the theology of the body, <laughs> theology of the body um, and you are a patron, make sure that you, you get that resource to people. And if you are not a patron and you would be blessed by this resource, please, please join the patron community. That monthly gift to the mission of the Institute goes a long, long way to help us fulfill our mission. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The... Other thing I wanted to mention is my brand spanking new book Yay. is now available. It's called Eating the Sunrise, mm-hmm. Meditations on Liturgy and Our Hunger for Beauty. And I weave this idea throughout the book, uh, this metaphor, eating the sunrise as an image of what we do when we receive the Eucharist. Because as we we say in, in well, not we say, but... The psalmist says in Psalm 19, the sun comes forth like a bridegroom from its chamber. And and for centuries, the church prayed her liturgy to the east. Why? To orient the desire of the bride, the church, to the coming of the bridegroom. It is, it is the right image for what we do in the Eucharist. It is eating the sunrise, learning how to take all of our hunger, all of our yearning, all of our desire for 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 fulfillment to the bread come down from heaven. Uh, that's what this book is all about, getting us in touch with our desires and learning how to orient those desires towards what really satisfies. So check out the link in the show notes to learn more. And we have a kind of bonus package for people. Uh, if you go to this link, which is eatingthesunrise.com, you can learn how to get a PDF, which is a bonus chapter which is not in the printed version of the book. Uh, you can get that bonus chapter at eatingthesunrise.com. We've already recorded the audio book. It hasn't yet been edited, but as soon as that is edited and up and going, if you prefer the audiobook version to reading it, uh, you guys on the podcast will be the first to know when that is available. So stay tuned. Very fun updates. Love it. Are you ready for a question from a patron? Let's do it. This is from a patron named Mary Joan. Hello, Mary Joan. Thank you for your monthly support of the Institute. So grateful to you. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you so much for this podcast. I've been a listener for a few years now, and your insights always give me much to think about. You and your witness have been a big blessing to me. This may be a little more of a lighthearted question, but I find it kind of fun to think about. If death entered the world... With the fall of man, what about all of the other creatures on earth that 
definitely lived and died before mankind ever came onto the scene. From the earliest stages of life of single-cell organisms to all the fish and animals that lived on Earth for millions of years to the whole age of dinosaurs that went extinct, there seems to be a lot of life that met with death, supposedly before death entered the world. Is this death still due to the fall of mankind? Kind of like how Mary was kept immaculate. At oh, her oh, that's what I, that's where I was going to go. Ah, she's al- she's already there. Let me finish her. Okay, present. sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, sorry, I interrupted but- you, as I often do. I just did again. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Kind of like how Mary was kept immaculate at her conception by the merit of Jesus' death, even though he'd not yet died, according to the human timeline. Or is this death almost a different kind of death than we mean when we refer to the fall of man? Or does the death introduced by the fall only affect human beings? Curious about your thoughts. This is great stuff. Uh, Mary Joan, you, you, I really like your thinking. Uh, I think my, my answer is already contained in your question, which is, I wouldn't ever claim this is the definitive way to look at it. But I do think we have a clue into an understanding of a mystery, and that's what we have to call it. Original sin is described in Catholic theology as the mystery of iniquity, right? And that word mystery has a great weight and meaning in Catholic theology. It's saying, it's saying there's something deeper than we can ever comprehend in a simple way. Right, like two plus two equals four is not a mystery, right? This is something we can comprehend simply and plainly. Two plus two equals four. But original sin is is a mystery of our faith. We can never say, oh, now I get it. Because the more we come, that doesn't mean we don't understand certain things, but the more we come to understand a mystery, the more we realize there's more that we don't understand and there's more to discover. But I would approach it just as you did, Mary Joan, by saying, you know, mysteries are not um, bound by time. It is a doctrine of our faith that death came into the world, including the corruption of creation. Uh, The rest of creation came into the world through the free choice of human beings to disobey God. Why? What, what's going on there? The real doctrine here, or, or one very important doctrine here, is that we, human beings, are intimately related with the rest of the created world. We are the mouthpiece of the rest of creation. Right? Remember what Jesus says when he's coming into Jerusalem? If you don't cry out praising me, the rocks will cry out. Right? Obviously, rocks don't have a voice. Rocks don't have freedom. Uh, but what Jesus was getting at there is that we are the mouthpiece of the rest of creation. The rocks, the trees, the flowers, the, the, the stars, everything in creation culminates, is summed up, is in some way contained in the human person. We are a, a microcosm of the macrocosm. And, and, the way we go is the way the rest of creation goes. Meaning, the corruption of the world. I mean, did God intend in his creation for there to be tornadoes and, and uh, uh, tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes and all that devastation that comes from creation? This is what St. Paul describes in Romans chapter 8. As all of creation groaning in labor pains, waiting for us to say yes to the redemption of our bodies. Mm. So I think you're looking at it correctly, Mary Joan, that um, chronologically, right, we come into the created world long after the dinosaurs died, for example. But we can say the death of the dinosaurs is in some mysterious way, key line, mysterious, in some mysterious way, the death of the dinosaurs is related to the sin that would come into the world through the crown of creation, which is the freedom of human beings. 
Conversely, the redemption of all of creation comes into the world through the freedom of Jesus Christ and the yes of his mother to his conception, which is itself already a gift of redemption from Jesus Christ. Mary's not a redeemer. Jesus is the sole redeemer. Jesus is the redeemer. Mary is the redeemed. Jesus is the savior. Mary is the saved, right? But the the fathers of the church say the furthest star in the universe danced when Mary said yes at the Annunciation. Why? Because the furthest star in the universe was groaning in labor pains, waiting for us to say yes to the redemption of our bodies. And Mary said yes to the redemption of the body when she opened her body to the second person of the Trinity's taking flesh in her body through the will of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. Boom! Kaboom. All of creation is related to us and we are related to all of creation. As you were speaking, Christopher, a couple things were going through my mind. This has been such a stimulating time for us on our pilgrimage that kind of like, I just feel like my my mind is extra sort of activated and imaginative. So it's like, as you're talking, I'm just kind of journeying around it. And one of the things I'm, I was sensing, I think being in Europe and being in places that um, like art and architecture and churches and other places that we've gone have been around for so long kind of gives you this sense of connection and time in a a powerful way that it's almost like hard to put into words that feeling of the length of of time that passes and yet the things that unite us across time I guess um and so so part of that's in my heart I'm remembering that I was just in front of the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, which is under reconstruction right now after having been partially destroyed by a fire. But looking at the front of it, in the center is an image of Mary. You're just talking about her. And on her left and right are Adam and Eve. And mm. the, the, this image was just in my heart of this the mystery of these connections through time and of God's plan unfolding. So that part, just sharing that kind of place in my heart of feeling those things are so deeply contained in the, I don't know if you would call it the imagination of the church or the the awareness of the interconnectedness of, of God's plan throughout time. The other thing that was just coming to me was our need, each one of us, to be connected with nature. And I know that sounds like a very different topic, but, you know, Mary Joan was talking about all these different living things throughout time and how, how beautiful it is, as you were saying, that we are giving voice to the the both the groanings and the the rejoicings of all created things that we are more fully alive and more fully ourselves when we are connected with all living things and in a way that includes that awe and wonder of of who has created them yeah yeah so I mean, I I know she asked a sort of simple kind of focused question about what is this death entered the world, but I think it just kind of led my imagination in a lot of different directions that are all related to that incredible bond of history and all living things. And that's what mysteries do. They they take us on a journey and you start to see the interconnection of all things. And Mm. if I may put in another shameless plug for my my new book eating the sunrise (laughs) there's a chapter in there where i talk about this scripture verse which i think shines a beautiful light on this question it's one of those mysterious verses that if you i mean lots of mysterious verses obviously in scripture all of scripture is unfolding a great mystery right but it's one of those verses you're like if i'm thinking in chronological time this makes no sense it says, it descri- this is the book of Revelation, describes Jesus as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 
If you're thinking chronologically, that doesn't make sense. If you're thinking in biblical time, which is is described with the Greek word kairos rather than chronos, where which where, where we get the word chronology, right? Kairos time is 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 able to rest peacefully without conniptions <laughs> in in this idea of Jesus as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Uh, it's a mystery, but somehow in God's foreknowledge, if we want to use that word, he understood that death would come into the world and it was already factored in right from the beginning. And so we see a watermark in all of creation of the Paschal mystery right from its inception. Uh, we're looking out of our window here on this boat in Paris at some beautiful yellow trees. And I remember going to a theology lecture probably 30 years ago, and this has stayed with me for 30 years, and it comes up again and again in my reflection on the world and just the fact that we're all headed to death, which I wrestle with. I don't like it. I am not a fan of death. Um, But these beautiful yellow trees, why are they so beautiful in their dying? Right, the fact that these trees are turning a bright, flaming yellow, orange, is a sign that winter is coming and the leaves are dying. Mm. And yet the death contains something beautiful. This theologian that this lecture I went to over 30 years ago says, there you see it written right into creation, the Paschal mystery of, a, of beautiful death, of death as something that... Something that that is a, a foreshadowing or a portend. Is that what's the word portend? You know the word port, it portends. It's a, oh, I like that word. That's yeah. fancy. Good. It is fancy, but I'm not sure I'm using it right. I think it does. Okay, so, uh, well, look it up if I'm not using it right. <laughs> but it's, it's a portending. It's, a, it's, a, it's saying, be not afraid to die because the lamb is slain before the foundation of the world and redemption is already written into creation in a certain way. Uh, unless the grain of wheat die, it cannot bear new life. So we need, because the lamb is slain before the foundation of the world, we needn't fear the death of, of a tree, of the dinosaurs, of extinct animals. Um, that somehow all of it gets redeemed because there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation will share in the glory of the freedom of the children of God. Oh, that's our hope. There it is. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff indeed. Thank you, Mary Joan, for helping us to squeeze out that awesome sauce from your question. (laughs) Yes. You ready for the next question? It is from a listener named Kate. And Kate asks, what is the disinterested gift? Why is it called that? And how does it relate with Eros? Yeah. Uh, thank you. Well, that was a weird sound that just came out of my <laughs> mouth. Um, often weird sounds come out of my mouth, as you know, and our <laughs> listeners know. Um, but that weird sound came from a kind of like groaning inside me of, of the, the deep places that this question can, can open up. Uh, disinterested is one of JP2's favorite words. And my guess is the translation doesn't capture exactly what he's saying in Polish. I am by no means a Polish scholar, so I'm just guessing here. But um, disinterested in English at first hearing almost makes it sound like you're not interested. Uh, JP2 talks about the disinterested gift of self. And of course, Eros, how's it related to Eros? Eros is this cry of the heart for love and union. Mm-hmm. Uh, this cry of the heart to, to bless and be blessed, to, to love and be loved. But eros, when it is cut off from agape, becomes not disinterested, which is two negatives, I know, uh, which is to say it becomes self-seeking. Eros cut off from agape becomes a, a disordered love that seeks to Rather than say, this is my body given up for you, which is a disinterested gift of self, meaning an unselfish gift. I'm not in it for myself. I'm not in this for what I get out of it, right? 
that's what JP2 means by disinterested, not self-seeking. Eros cut off from agape is a self-seeking love, which according to the true definition of love is no longer love, right? So that would be the relationship between Eros and disinterestedness. It, for Eros to be disinterested, Eros needs to be reintegrated with agape, that self-sacrificial, disinterested gift of self. And we see this perfectly in what Pope Benedict XVI here, quoting from Fathers of the Church, uh, he describes what happened on the cross as the mad eros of the bridegroom for the bride. He says, can we think of a more mad eros than the love that led Christ to unite himself with us on the cross to the extreme of taking on himself the consequences of our own offenses. Right? That is a disinterested eros because it is one with agape, divine love, sacrificial love. When St. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, he's not saying reject eros in favor of agape. That's to, that's to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Um, meaning we want to get rid of lust and we think eros is synonymous with lust. No, 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 no. Eros is not synonymous with lust. Eros cut off from agape becomes lust, but the redemption does not come by throwing Eros out the window. The redemption comes by opening Eros to the new wine of salvation. The very first miracle that Christ performed was the restoration of agape to Eros. That's the symbol of the new wine at the wedding. Hey, JP2 tells us running out of wine at Cana is a symbol of the original sin. And the restoration of the wine is the symbol of redemption. Eros is now flooded again by and with agape. And I, I got on this tangent and I can't even remember if I'm really answering her question. Did I answer? You you know what it is? Because you're you're pointing us to the Lord and his gift of himself on the cross. Yeah, yeah. And how... It brings together this kind of unusual word, disinterested. Yeah, that's right. That's what was Kate's question, was mm -hmm. this unusual word, disinterested. And this holy eros. Yeah. Can I say one more thing before yeah. I pass mm -hmm. it on to you, yeah. Wendy? Um, he says something very important for us in love and responsibility. He says, love is disinterested in human beings only to a certain extent. And this is very important for us to realize. He says, in, in human experience, and this is not a defect, this is part of being a creature, right? By definition, as creatures, we are needy. <laughs> mm -hmm. We are in need of an infilling. And, and we know, I know, Wendy, that in loving you, you are loving me, and I am in need of your love. And my loving you disinterestedly does not mean I'm not also interested in being loved by you. <laughs> I'm very interested in, in being loved by you. And let's say, and it's true, uh, there are ways that you don't love me in ways that I long to be loved by you, right. want to be loved by you, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. uh, those, those places where I feel a, a wound, um, this is where I am called, even if I'm not receiving the bennies of being loved by you as I may desire, I'm called nonetheless to continue loving you. And that's a genuine human disinterestedness. Mm -hmm. But it is not disingenuous, JP2 is saying, for us also to be very interested in wanting to be loved. <laughs> so he says, the kind of love that we're called to in marriage, for example, but in all human relationships, is, is a love that is disinterested to a certain extent because in loving you, I also desire to receive 
the blessing and the benefit of being loved by you. Again, if I don't receive that, I'm still called to love you. Yeah, this, this, these funny words, disinterested gift and eros, should fill us with hope. Yes. <laughs> if we um, get over the fact that, gosh, I don't normally think in these words, and learn what they're pointing to, they're pointing to things we deeply desire. Yes. And so it's, it's very hopeful it's a beautiful, good news message for us that I think sometimes as we kind of get a little jaded or in maybe even scandalized in life by how broken, how messed up human beings are, we can start to think there's just, we just have to settle for something very inferior to what we're really made for um, in life. And I, I think partly what, what speaks to my heart when I look at these words, especially the disinterested gift of self, it's, it's that noble thing that's really possible to tap into because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, that calls us to find joy in being a gift to the other um, that that is like I I genuinely desire your good and that is that genuine desire for the good of another we can experience it in a lot of different relationships so it, it's not exclusive yes. to a marriage Um People who are not married still give themselves as gifts and have that joy, that ennobling, beautiful joy of, of being in the flow of grace that comes through our baptism. So all of that beauty is contained in those words, and it's exciting, and it's encouraging, and it's healing for our hearts that may have been told, either in words or in a thousand other messages and distressing experiences that there's not much to hope for in this yeah, world. Yeah. That you just have to like make yourself appealing to be used by someone. You have to use others to get what you want. You have to satisfy yourself with fleeting pleasures because that's all there is. You know, those kinds of messages are around us all the time. And, and this like message of the Holy Father in this using, telling us about the disinterested gift of self is, is calling us to be who God made us to be. So awesome. Well said, Wendy. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for opening your heart there. And I, I, I would loved how you said that even if we don't use these words on a regular basis, right. if we come to learn what these words mean, which is exactly what Kate is doing here. Right. She say, what do these words mean? Yeah. We will find that these words, just as you said, Wendy, correspond to profound experiences in our heart. And I could sum up the entire gift of JP2 in my life exactly in that way. He gave me a language to understand experiences of my heart mm -hmm. and my life. Thank you, JP2. Thank you. Next question is from a listener named Eddie. Hey, Eddie. <clears throat> My wife, who's not Catholic, does not want any more children and is resisting the idea of practicing natural family planning. Every time we engage in sexual intercourse, I feel as if I'm committing a mortal sin and putting my soul in jeopardy, either by withdrawing out of her or using a condom. I will say, every time I'm doing these things, I can sense that I personally am not in a state of grace anymore. I feel spiritually drained. My mind is cloudy. The temptation to engage in lustful and pornographic acts with my wife increases. Diabolical oppression begins to increase with everything it entails. But my, prepare, my prayers for the conversion of her heart have turned me into being frustrated, impatient, and confused with our Lord and this cross that I'm currently bearing. 
I've gotten mixed messages during confession from different priests, like contraception is acceptable, or... God have mercy, excuse me. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, God have mercy. These priests, these priests will be answerable to God for their misleading people. This this gets under... Oh, my... Yeah, hmm. The, if I ever have righteous anger, it's when I hear things like that. Yeah. This man's conscience, forgive me, I know you were not even done. This man's conscience is so well formed. Mm. And he is exactly in touch with his conscience in all these things that he is very accurately describing. Every single point that you just read that he said yeah. is the indication that he is not, despite being misguided from priests, uh, uh, despite all the temptations to ignore all this stuff in his heart, Eddie, 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 I love you, Eddie. Eddie, you are you are in touch with the voice of conscience in your heart, and this is the first step to to authentic renewal. This is the first step to call, be to climbing out by God's grace. It's not like we climb out; He comes down into our hell and He pulls us out. But brother, you are listening to the voice of conscience, and that is a tremendous, tremendous grace. Wendy, this is so important what he said here. Could you reread where he says, this is what I'm feeling when I do this? And I just want to say a couple things as you go through it. Mm -hmm. He said, I feel spiritually drained. Boom. When we sin mortally, this is exactly what happens to us. The life of God gets drained out of us. You're feeling it. Thank God that you're feeling it because we usually numb ourselves to this. And you've been given the grace, Eddie, tremendous grace of not being numb to this pain of feeling spiritually drained. Next, what does he say? My mind is cloudy. This is exactly what happens when we commit sins of impurity. Uh, Blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see God. Well, what's the opposite? The, the impure, we get clouded. We can't see the light. We're not seeing reality as it is. And Eddie, the fact that you feel this and recognize this is already a sign that grace is breaking through those clouds. The temptation to engage in lustful and pornographic acts with my wife increases. Boom. Sin begets sin. When we dip, you can't just dip your toe in sin, right? You can't just taste it a little bit. When you jump, when you jump into a mortal sin, it begets other sin. And, and now instead of uh, uh, virtue begetting virtue, vice begets vice. And we fall into one and now we are vulnerable and the enemy is right there to entice us to more. And then he says, and diabolical oppression begins to... Boom, 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 boom. When we fall out of a state of grace, we are vulnerable What is a state of grace? Our heart is open to the movements of the Holy Spirit. What happens when we fall out of grace? Our heart is now vulnerable and open to the movements of unholy spirits. Exactly what happens in the state of grace, openness to being infused and inspired by the holy, the evil spirits mock when we fall out of the state of grace and evil spirits are now after us to to entice, to oppress, to draw down, to, to, to tempt. Eddie, again, I am amazed at your ability to articulate what is happening to you. This, is, this could, I, I mean, I have never heard anybody so clearly in touch mm-hmm. with what sin does. Keep going here. Yeah. Well, okay. Was that it? That, that was, is that when yeah. I jumped in and, and groaned and said all yeah, that stuff? Yeah, so I just finished with the yeah, question. Yeah, please do, put, He said, how... How do I not destroy my marriage, not put my soul in jeopardy, and still live out my moral obligations as a Catholic with a clear conscience under these complicated circumstances? Bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. These are indeed complicated circumstances. They are indeed complicated circumstances. I want to reverence that. I want to honor that. I don't want to jump in with the answer as if I know how to solve your complicated problem. I don't know how to solve all the ins and outs of your complicated problem. But I do know that the beginning of solving this complicated problem 
comes from following the voice of your conscience. And your conscience is very clear here, Eddie, and that is a tremendous gift. That is the Holy Spirit speaking in and through the voice of your conscience. When we hear the voice of conscience and we do not follow it, we condemn ourselves by our very actions. Thank you, God. There's always mercy. There's always mercy. Eddie, God's mercy is infinitely bigger than these complex problems you are facing. There will be hardships in following the voice of your conscience. Uh, from what I'm gathering, from what you're saying, uh, there are also the possibility of many miracles. Of, there is the possibility of many miracles of graces here. But let's just go with what is most likely in this scenario is you follow your conscience and you say to your wife, I can no longer engage in contraceptive acts of intercourse. I cannot do it. She will resist, I'm guessing. That would be probably the most likely scenario based on the information you've given us. She will be angry at you. She will be angry at the church. She will be angry at God. And it'll get dumped most likely on you. Eddie, here's what grace can enable you to do. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot. But grace can enable you to do this. To receive whatever anger gets aimed at you from your wife. Christ is in you, Eddie. Get yourself in a state of grace. Follow the voice of your conscience. Get yourself in a state of grace. Christ is in you, alive and active. And by that grace, alive and active in you, by being in a state of grace, Christ in you can absorb all of that rage and anger that she will throw at you. And Christ in you can and will offer that rage and anger to the Father. This is what happened on the cross. And you will be fulfilling what St. Paul invites husbands to when he says, husbands love your wives mm -hmm. as Christ loved the church. This is the mad eros of the cross where Christ came united himself with his bride to the point of bearing in himself the consequences of her offenses. The offense here, really it's your wife who's driving this contraceptive thing. This does not justify you participating in the behavior. Get yourself right with God through the sacrament of confession and enable yourself, Christ in you, to bear the consequences of her offenses that's mad eros. Open that pain which she will dump on you, Eddie. Don't punch back. Don't blame back. Don't accuse back. Be willing to take the punch and not punch back, but offer the punch that she throws at you up to the Father as another Christ. And the Father will transform that pain and that suffering into healing power for her. This is called, in the language of the church, intercession, mm -hmm. where you bear in yourself her pain and present it to the Father because she doesn't know how to do so at this point in her journey. But you are one flesh with her and you are her number one intercessor and you can offer this pain to the Father on her behalf and that kind of prayer will, my brother, bear fruit. I can't promise it's going to bear fruit next week or next year or even in this lifetime, but it will bear its fruit and she will for all eternity be with you thanking you for what you suffered for her, for her sin. This is how redemption works. This is such a powerful question. I, I am in total agreement with you and just appreciating the sensitivity of the, of the heart that, that Eddie is sharing. And yet he's not by no means, you know, kind of giving us the impression of some state of perfection he's no, confessing yes. he's his he's own weakness falling, yeah. and yet he's experiencing what that has meant in his life and it is very powerful to hear um just his insights you know about how this is impacting him and 
I agree with everything you've just said and wanting to add something is, it's only, I don't know how much value it, it has, but just the thing that was coming to me, it's kind of back on this very first line, my wife does not want any more children. Mm-hmm. And we really haven't talked about yeah, that. Right. And that's okay. But what was coming to me, praying for them as you were speaking, was a sense, an image of Eddie getting to know his children better mm. and and learning to love and serve them in ways that maybe he hasn't so far. And also getting to know her, his wife better because there are dynamics going on in their home, in their family that are causing her to say enough. And I don't, I don't know, you know, anything of her story or her, you know, their strengths or weaknesses as a couple, as parents, but, but a sense that to ask the Lord to give him that grace to enter more fully into their joint parenthood, not with some ulterior motive, like, if I do this, she'll come around, <laughs> but but just sincerely recognizing that vocation of husband and father, um, it, it's you're always meant to be maturing and deepening those relationships. And somehow that is the thing that was on my heart to just add mm. in all of this. The mix of this is is a sense of like, what can I do in this complicated situation? That part of the complexity is is probably some suffering in that kind of joint adventure of being husband and wife, father and mother, family, that that needs to go deeper. Yeah, yeah. Amen. I I can't I can't tell you how struck I am by Eddie's mm-hmm. insights into and his his ability to articulate with clarity and precision the rotten fruits of sin. Yeah. In his life, that is Eddie. That is a gift. Yeah. And Eddie, may I ask you, and may I ask all the listeners, to pray for those who are in the same darkness, but have numbed themselves to the consequences of sin because they want to justify their sin. Eddie, you would not have written to us if you were adamant in wanting to justify your sin. Your willingness to look at the rotten fruits of sin in your life is bearing good fruit in your life. Mm. And that is an example to to me. I know it's an example to Wendy. It's an example to all the listeners of this podcast. Tens of thousands of people around the world who listen to this podcast. Uh, Eddie, I'm telling you, brother. Your willingness to look at the rotten fruit in your life from sin is already bearing good fruit. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And you know, Wendy, at the beginning of this pilgrimage, you'll remember I asked the pilgrims to to look for signs that that God speaks to us through sign language Mm -hmm. and to pay attention, especially in creation, to the signs that God will, will use on this pilgrimage to speak. And for the last... As we've been answering this question, mm-hmm. have you noticed what's been happening to this boat? We're, we're, do you see how cl- much, how far closer we are, how much closer we are to the yeah. other side of the yeah. river? Mm-hmm. We have been drifting across the river closer and closer to those beautiful orangish, yellowish trees. And I sense like the Lord in the sign getting closer to these trees. What are these trees doing? They're dying. The leaves are dying because it's, be- it's fall. Uh, and I was speaking earlier about that's a sign of, of beauty in death, that there is beauty on the other side of death. And, and even the beauty of death, this, these beautiful trees are an invitation. Don't be afraid to die. Eddie, whatever death is ahead of you, don't be afraid to die because there is life on the other side of that. And I'm sensing that as the Lord is like, I feel these trees, like as this boat is drifting closer and closer mm-hmm. to these trees, I feel that the beauty of the Paschal mystery just calling us in. I think we should close with a prayer for Eddie. Yeah. yeah. Would you lead us, Wendy? Sure. Lord, I lift up Eddie. I lift up his wife. I lift up their children. And thank you so much for the, the gift of faith 
that you have planted so deeply in Eddie's heart. That is a gift. It's your life, Lord, your love. Lord, they are in difficult, as he said, complicated, frustrating circumstances right now. But Lord, you came to dwell in humanity's difficult, complicated, frustrating, broken circumstances because you wanted to give us a way out. You wanted to give us your love that we so long for. So ask you, please, Lord, mm. to reveal your deep love to Eddie, to his wife, to each of their children, Lord, in ways that will lift them up out of the darkness and, and help them to find the way to walk toward you as a family. Lord, please. Lord, you know the next steps. Give them the courage to take just one step at a time and to allow the light you created them to shine in this world to shine more brightly each step of mm, their journey, mm, Lord, mm. we pray. I, as you're praying, Wendy, I'm seeing this image of that cloudiness that he was talking about, mm-hmm. the clouds coming. But you know when the sun is behind it and those rays start yeah. to break through? That's what I'm seeing, Eddie. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing the Beatles, Here Comes the Sun. Mm-hmm. Here comes the sun. This is for you, Eddie. I, I, if, if you can relate, if that's maybe that song's a blessing in your life, I don't know. But listen to Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles, Eddie. I think there's a word or two or several <laughs> in that song for you, my brother. Mm-hmm. Woo! Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of all that we learn in doing this podcast. Thank you for the gift and blessing and grace of of taking us deeper through this podcast and learning how to intercede for people like Eddie. Uh, All of our listeners, you are always part of our prayer. Thank you for being part of this global podcast family. Uh, we hope you're blessed by this episode. We'll we'll look forward to sharing more in coming episodes of the many, many blessings and graces we've experienced on this pilgrimage. And the next time we record, we will be back in Pennsylvania. It's been a great trip, but I'm looking forward to getting home mm-hmm. with you too, Wendy. Yes. I miss our kids. I know. This is the longest we've ever been away. It's hard. We're coming home <laughs> soon. Uh, bless you all. And may you all know it deep in your bones that you are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. 